there's a belief in biology and a belief in transcending biology. And, and civilization's always been about transcending biology. This is episode 31 with Daniel Vitalis on Ancestral Health Radio. Learn to align your genetic makeup for peak health, fitness, and longevity with actionable how-to advice from today's leaders in nutrition, movement, and lifestyle. Join me, your host, James Kevin Broderick, as we bridge the divide between modern technology and our inherent ancestral wisdom. Let's take a walk on the wild side. Is the first person to live to 1,000 years old alive today? And if that's true, what does that inevitably mean for the future of the human condition? One of the world's leading anti-aging researchers, Aubrey de Grey, and strangely, my neighbor, believes that to be 100% true. Because, well, Aubrey's the one who said it. And if what Aubrey says is true, would you then believe Arthur C. Clarke's third law, which states... Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, meaning that modern technology can seem like literal witchcraft to the ignorant or simple science to the learned. Popular mystery writer Agatha Christie once wrote, The supernatural is only the natural of which the laws are not yet understood. And I agree. However, are we metaphorically, quote-unquote, summoning the demon? as tech mogul Elon Musk fears. The Guardian published an article on former vice president of user growth for Facebook, one you may have read or at the very least heard about in November of 2017. The former executive said that he feels, quote, tremendous guilt on his work on tools that are ripping apart the societal fabric of how society works. Chamath said, this is not about Russian ads. This is a global problem. It is eroding the core foundations of how people behave by and between each other. Historian and novelist Ronald Wright popularized what is called a progress trap. The exact definition of a progress trap is as follows, guys. Listen, the condition human societies experience when, in pursuing progress through human ingenuity... They inadvertently introduce problems they have not the resources or political will to solve for fear of short-term losses in status, stability, or quality of life. Many of the problems we are now seeing, whether we're talking about hunger or massive inequity, whether we're talking about climate change or the loss of biodiversity, have been driven over the last 250 years by a system of overproduction and overconsumption of stuff. You've probably heard Einstein's famous quote, I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots. This quote, although very popular on the internet, is false. Einstein did say, however, I believe that the abominable deterioration of ethical standards stems primarily from the mechanization and depersonalization of our lives. He wrote in a letter to his friend psychiatrist Otto Julius Berger in 1948, a disastrous byproduct of science and technology, Nostra Copa. And in many ways, science and technology have become the new religion of our time. Karl Marx described religion as an opiate to the masses because it dulled the senses and kept people passive and accepting of a capitalist, industrialist culture warped on the idea of consumption and growth. Freud, the father of modern technology, argued that religion served to repress and sublimate an individual's desire into activities that serve the culture. This, Freud argued, produces neurosis and mental illness in those that civilization seeks to domesticate. And so, guys, listen, if we imagine technology as a drug, where its purpose is to manage pain and create sensations of calm and well-being, do we not forget that we are a part of the natural world fighting for survival just like everything else? And in many ways, technology works much like religion, distracting us from our inevitable deaths with feelings of fleeting invincibility and immortality. I'd like to thank my friend Julian Langer for that connection between technology and religion. You can find a link to his Facebook page in the show notes of this episode. Anyways, guys, this is part two 
of two of Privilege, Identity Politics, and the Transhuman Agenda with Daniel Vitalis. All in all, this was a challenging conversation to navigate for both Daniel and myself, so please keep an open mind, ear, and heart. So, in today's episode, you'll learn the three mishmashed values and science that Daniel says he approaches the world with, Daniel's personal relationship with modern technology, Daniel's thoughts on merit, identity politics, and the transhuman agenda, i.e. the cult of progress, and much, much more. You know, one of the questions I actually had, I, I heard you, this is kind of funny, just bringing up past episodes and little snippets, but remember you were talking about offering cannabis for taking the life of an animal or foraging a plant or whatever it was because you thought that it had the same type of value that, say, tobacco had for Native peoples. Would you consider yourself somewhat of a practicing animist? Um, that's a good question because I feel more connected to animism than I do to most like ways of being in the world. But, um, but I'm very scientific as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I've noticed that a lot of people today, w- because I've had opportunity to sit in on a lot of ceremonies of, of various kinds from ones that are um, deeply rooted and in, and long lineages of ancestral peoples to ones that are uh, extremely modern and sort of fit into the new age category, if you will. So I feel like um, while that hasn't been the focus of my work over the years, I, I do have exposure enough to sort of offer some commentary that I think is maybe has merit. And I think that science has fundamentally shifted the way that human beings see the world. And mm. it is a lot like a religion. It's not one, but it's a lot like one. And so I would say that if I, I I would say that I approach the world like a mishmash of animist values, Taoist values, Christian values, and science. Mm. It's like they're (laughs) they're very mixed together, right? Uh Uh, The idea of making offerings to the land, I think is very powerful. And I probably one day will understand why more scientifically, you know, I think we're starting to understand the impacts things like gratitude practices can have on people's health psychologically and physically. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that uh, I have practices that are reminiscent of, of animism and I really do see a shared intrinsic value between all life forms. Like, because to me, it's like, I can't, f- I find that amidst all this infighting we we're talking about, right. Amidst all that's going on globally, all amidst all that's going on with nation states and with ecology and with our oceans and, and our air and, you know, all, it's just like all of these, everything, everything, right. Amidst it all. Uh, and I want, let me add to that actually at a time when we have just seen the first Android made a citizen and she expresses interests in having children. That's really fascinating. Um, at a time you familiar with what I'm talking about. Sophia over in Saudi, Saudi no. Arabia. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So she's an AI. So um, with a physical body, and um, and she's uh, she's synthetic. But we're about to see the, the thing about identity politics that's fascinating to me is like it's not that the because some people are going to hear the things I said a few moments ago and be like, why is he taking such a hard stance on that? It seems like such an easy topic to just be like, yeah, there's privilege. The challenge for me is where is it going? It's going to go way past. Um, black, white, it's going to go way past gay, straight, it's going to go way past cis, trans, and it's about to go into a whole nother area, and that's artificial life forms. Mm. And the rights of artificial, you mark my words, dude, I mean, it's it, especially where you live, because you're not far from Silicon Valley. Oh, I'm in Silicon Valley, man, it, this is it. All right, it won't be long for you before there's a conversation, and I want you to remember when it get when it happens, there's going to be pretty soon some serious identity politics about AI and what are the rights of AI and do AI um, deserve equal rights as people and should they, be citizens? should they have children? And well, it's going to be our lives pretty soon. So amidst all that and add to that one more piece I want to add is bio and nanotechnology. 
mm-hmm. and the ability to to um, to shape and sculpt biology, and even eventually, if this technology continues onward, to be able to create life forms by by writing code, essentially by coding organisms. We're doing all this stuff's happening, and amidst it all, we don't even really understand what life is, and we definitely don't know where life comes from. We don't know where life started. We don't know what animates life. Like we don't understand it. That in that therein lies this, I'll say magic because we don't have a, another word. I don't mean like, you know, ritual magic, but I mean like there's some kind of magic there that we don't understand. And my, I guess like I see the highest service is service to that. Okay. So what I see the highest service is service to life itself. Like that's, that would be like my religion, I guess. It's like I honor life and whatever creates life. Like that's what I want to honor most. And that's what I want to, what I want to fight on behalf of, if you will, if there was a fight to be had. And what one challenge I have with so much of what's going on today is that it's, um, there's many, many wars on biology itself. And, and actually there's all these contexts in which we can't even discuss biology anymore. It's, it's becoming too taboo when it relates to people, um, which I think is really unfortunate in a place where we have supposedly have free speech, but, but I think those things are really challenging. So it, I, I don't want to say I'm an animist in the sense that, because that I think that already brings to mind something very specific that existed in the past and exists in some ways today, but I don't think that the people practicing animism today are the same people because the people practicing animism in the past didn't have the sciences and technologies like we have today that have reshaped and re reshaped their neural nets, if you will. So, so I'd be like a scientific animist with a, with a lot of chivalrous values, I think. Okay. I like that. Chivalrous values. Um, so <laughs> I like that. Um, so what is your relationship to technology? I mean, we know that you run an online business, but you know, there's like this strange conflict between rewilding and this idea of modern technology. I know that it's one of the bigger misconceptions throughout Arthur's new book, which you wrote a beautiful forward for, by the way, a new Thank path. You. What's your personal relationship with technology? Well, I'm, I'm strapped into it right now, enjoying an augmented reality, I'd say. Um, the Matrix. Right, what's that? I said the Matrix, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, right now, like, I, I have augmented reality. It's like I have a, a set of headphones on my head um, plugged into a machine that's, you know, fed into the network. And uh, I'm totally. speaking into a microphone that's pumped through an amp into the computer, into the network. So, I mean, I'm like, you know, the, the Matrix allegory is... Ugh, you know, it's a good one. And, and, you know, we see the characters there literally like plugging something into the back of their head. Now yeah. I, I've argued in the past that I think that a lot of the, um, the, what would you call it? Like the cyborg type stuff from the eighties is really funny because we always would see somebody had like a wound with, you know, technology implanted into it. Right. And I think that we'll find that most of it will be worn technology. I think it's, um, you know, technology is going to continue to, we're going to go into augmented reality. Um, we already are doing it on a daily basis, but we don't necessarily think of it that way. And mm. those technologies are going to keep unfolding. And as rewilders, um, I, I don't see us being able to escape it. Um, and you know, this is such interesting and rich territory, James, because it's like, let's say that you decide you're not going to use technology pretty soon. You're going to get, that's going to be called a privilege. Do you see what I'm saying? You see where it's, I mean, right. right? And let me tell you another thing that I suspect will happen. So again, sort of, you heard it here, like pretty soon it it will be taboo to say that somebody's in virtual reality or augmented reality that we won't be able to say that you'll be able to say that at first. And then it'll be, who are you to say what their reality is or isn't James? Who Mm -hmm. are you to decide? Are you using some kind of, um, internal subconscious bias against those other types of realities. They're just a spectrum of realities. Right. So it's not augmented. It's not virtual. It's just part of the spectrum of realities. And to call this natural reality is going to be really taboo. 
right? Because <laughs> you're implying that this reality is somehow better than those realities are more moral or more just. So you won't be able to even say that. So what you're going to have pretty soon is people walking around wearing, you know, heads up display augmentations or full virtual display augmentations. And you're going to have to pretend like you don't notice it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be really, really interesting stuff, you know, and I could go on and on where I see that stuff headed, but back to your question. Yeah. Um, I, this is the challenge for me is that I use technology to do most things all day. Like everybody's doing, mm-hmm. except when I go out to forage and hunt. And even then I'm using technologies, but I'm not using digital technologies. Um, those have become those practices of hunting and gathering have become my quote unquote safe space mm-hmm. from technology because right. it gives me the ability it encourages me not to use those technologies. My experience and in, in my use of them now um, scares me a little bit because um, I do feel the um, addictive qualities of them, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I also experience their predictive qualities about what they think I want to see, feel, touch, think about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm watching the way, see, I, I really, you familiar with what Elon Musk says about uh, AI? Have you heard anything he said? I haven't heard specifically what he says about AI, but please. Elon Musk is a really interesting character, right? He falls in this like billionaire tech, you know, category. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, being the inventor of Tesla cars, which are, uh, I'm sure, much more popular where you are than, than here in Maine. Oh, I don't see them. too many of them. Right. So uh, he's also run SpaceX, right? And this... Mm-hmm this idea of, you know, taking human beings to space, which is a whole nother thing that we'll be grappling with in the coming year. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm kind of amazed at how um, big the push is on that stuff right now. But um, anyway, so I I say that little bit of background about him because he's no slouch when it comes to these technologies. He understands them very well. In fact, I heard him recently saying that all his new Teslas, uh, even for the last couple of years, are capable with software upgrades of being fully autonomous already. The ones people are already driving, they just would need a software upgrade, but they, they already have the sensors to be autonomous drive self-driving vehicles. Okay. This guy says that, um, you know, the creation of artificial intelligence is essentially summoning the demon. He Hmm. says we need to slow down. We need to create regulation in advance and that this is the biggest existential threat to humanity. Um, and you know, he works in that field. He's part of it. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that as we interact with these machines, we don't realize what we're doing. We're programming the AI and I I don't mean like limited AI. I'm talking about that, like that deep, like that deep network, general artificial intelligence. Yeah. Big data. We're programming it, uh, by interacting with the machines. Cause whenever we interact with them, we, we, we teach them how our brain works. Yeah. Right. Like when you go, when you watch one thing and that makes you think of another thing, which you quickly search, you're, you're showing the machine how your brain jumps from idea to idea to idea. Yeah, you're creating a new algorithm, right? You're essentially writing it. So when you've got billions of people all participating in that big experiment, what, what I think we're doing is we are in a sense, in a metaphorical sense, we are summoning a demon, I think, and, and bringing it into this realm and building its body. We're going to start by building its, its neocortex and, and then we, we build its body. Um, and there's a lot of people who've already gotten deeply enslaved to that idea. In fact, it's interesting when you look at uh, I the name of the guy who's just, uh, he's a former Google programmer who's just started the uh, church of AI and essentially uh, oh, no. wants to, yeah, wants to create um, places of worship uh, for the AI God, which we are creating. So, um, so this stuff's all happening around us. And when I look at interacting with technology, I, I understand when people say things like when they talk about the benefits, because there's all these benefits, right? Like, oh, we can all talk to each other. It brings us together, blah, 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 blah. So all these benefits. Um, I don't see it that way. I'll be honest with you, James. Like I see it more like, oh, geez, it's like I, it's difficult to live in the world without them right now. Hmm. And, um, but I don't see what it's creating as positive. I'm seeing what it's creating as largely negative. IQs are down in the United States, man. IQs are down, body weights up, people are getting sicker and sicker. They're having a harder time separating from their machines. I remember like, I remember the first time I saw somebody, uh, talking with like, a. I couldn't see that they were on the phone because they had some kind of, you know, headset or something like that. And I just remember the first time I saw somebody walking down the street talking to themselves like a crazy person. 
not real, you know, like going uh-huh. like, oh, they're on the phone, right? Now it's like, it's just all day nonstop. I see it everywhere and I'm part of it. Um, for me, like I said, when I get out to hunt and gather, it's like my chance to get away from it, but I see how it's getting harder and harder to do it. A lot of the people who say they don't have the ability or the privilege to hunt and gather a lot of that, some percentage of that, maybe not a lot, some percentage of that. So let's take a pie of their, you know, reasons they can't do this. Mm -hmm. A pretty large pie slice is because they have a hard time stepping away from their machines. They, they start, people are starting to get confused between what's, what they're watching and what's real, like that, that YouTube isn't an experience. I mean, it's, it sounds so cliche, but it's like, it's actually true. So my own, um, my own relationship to it is like, I, I use it for work, but I use it for pleasure too. And I learn a lot by, you know, perusing it. And I, I use it to keep up with things and I use it to communicate. Um, but whenever I can, I step away from it and, um, or whenever I realize what it's doing to me. Um, I don't think I'm nearly as intelligent as I was before um, I had a mobile phone, particularly a smartphone. I, I, I'm for sure, I, I think if you had done an IQ test with me before and you did one now, it would be really obvious. Um, I don't think I have the attention span that I used to. I don't think that my serotonin or dopamine levels uh, or, or pathways work the way that they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I've been fundamentally deranged by this technology. And uh, what kind of bothers me is the way that the iOS like knows me better than it used to. <laughs> and, I, and what I feel like it's, it wants to do is slowly take more of me. Slowly, slowly take more of me. So um, I know that's not like, you know, again, I feel like a lot of times I get into an interview and I feel like people want to hear like, here's like the eight steps to totally like using your technology for the better. <laughs> they always want, like, they always want that. Well, it's like, there's, there's 10,000 people doing that right now. Go find it. Right. It's like, right. it's everywhere. Like, like the message that people I think need to hear is like this thing sucking your soul right out metaphorically. Right. And, uh, before you know it, you're going to think, wait, I'm in service to this thing. And that's going to happen real fast as AI has become a big part of people's work. Mm-hmm. And their bosses are virtual. Um, and in, in all, again, yes. do you ever read, you ever read Weston Price's book, Nutrition yeah. Physical Generation? Yeah, absolutely. This is interesting on the, on the topic of, of racism and such too, because you read a book like that and he says things that you would just never say. You know what I mean? Like words that you're like, dude, that is not appropriate anymore. <laughs> like you can't talk like that. Right. It sounds very racist, but one has the impression given that the man went to all these cultures around the world that he certainly wasn't racist or that he, had, he was operating from what was the baseline of um, divisiveness of his time, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think he was a outright racist or anything like that. And, um, I think people, you know, if they ever somehow listen to this in the future, they would be like, Oh my God, he said, he said a virtual boss. Like, (laughs) can you believe that? Don't say that. Oh my goodness. Right. Like, geez, that's so, you know, like 2000 teens. It's like, um, I think all that's going to change, but I think you understand what I mean. I mean, people are starting to complain already in in places like Amazon about the, the way that they feel sort of like that they work for machines. Well, right. We went from the industrial age where we're pumping out, you know, little, little workers to now it's the information age where everybody is working from, you know, virtually, like you're saying. And I like to tell people with technology, the way I think about it is that for each new piece of technology you take, you have to think of the piece of humanity that you're giving up for it. So whatever new technology that you take on, there is something that you're giving away a piece of your sovereignty. I agree, but some examples. Um, you know, so for example, your cell phone, like you're mentioning, right? Uh, you were talking about your IQ. Uh, wouldn't it be better if we were to just get a dummy phone, for example, that number one costed $30 a month, not a hundred something dollars. It didn't have full access to the internet. So you weren't pulling out your phone 80 times. The average person pulls out their phone to look at their screen an average of 80 times a day. So you would also be 40 of which for like absolutely no reason other than to just like smoke a cigarette, essentially just ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. And you know what, to speak on also the privilege and technology piece that you were talking about earlier, you were talking about Elon Musk and SpaceX, his business partner is Peter Thiel also a a tech billionaire. And he was at this year's Bulletproof conference and he was talking about the future of technology. What'd you pay to, what'd you pay for that ticket by the way? Free. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, of, I was gonna say. Speaking of privilege, James. Yeah, going to going to bulletproof, dude. Seriously, no. Hear me out. I mean, here, just hear me out, dude. Uh huh. I mean, talk about flexing your privilege, bro. Well, you didn't let me finish. Hold on a second. So, number one, I know that, and I know that that's there. If you go there and you look around and you try to look at the diversity, there is none. And I mean, they have a tech hall there, right? The tech hall is tech that the average person, even somebody who had a decent amount of money, could not personally afford. The barrier to entry there is absolutely ridiculous. But to go back to Peter Thiel, I think it's crazy because he was talking about the future of technology and people going to 5G how they were going to rid the world of child mortality rates, you know, like, because that's what we need. <laughs> crazy. But yeah, and it's insane, right? So I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm looking around in disbelief, my mouth just completely unhinged. And I'm looking around and everybody is beaming, you know, because this is this year's guest speaker, Peter Thiel, you know, like tech billionaire. And everybody is just nodding their heads in agreement. And I am shocked at what I'm seeing because I'm thinking this is, this is the beginning of the end right here. You know, like I already knew it was happening, but this was just a, a validation of what's really happening. And then it was crazy because there was a juxtaposition of going from that conference all the way up to Portland, Oregon and my, my friend Peter Michael Bauer's conference, the 2017 North Annual Rewilding Conference. I mean, he couldn't have picked a longer name. But when I was there, I mean, it was like a small group open space format, meaning you could walk in and out of conversations and topics, but it was just like really small, tiny, people were really thoughtful. There was no technology involved. You know, it was just like a very um, nice connecting experience, but technology is definitely something that we need to be aware of and something that I find myself, I'm in the same position. You know, I, it's like, it would be easier or more convenient for me to have this big smartphone with me because simply of the business that I have, the nature of the business is that I run it online. But damn, I definitely feel the vacuum of technology as well, too. It's, uh, it's, it's scary, honestly. There's, there's a couple things there I want to say about that. Um, two things. On the SpaceX topic, one thing, one reason that I'm really, I get triggered and I don't feel like I'm in a safe space when all of this stuff comes up about privilege. Mm. One reason is because I think what's happening is elites, and I don't mean this in like this huge, it's like not even conspiracy stuff. It's like, it's like you have folks like George Soros who are international billionaires who are funding a lot of this identity politics, literally funding it mm. right? and funding the news media who is pumping this divisiveness. And what they're doing is they, they in my opinion, is they've turned black on white where I actually think things were really getting better. Um, they turned man on woman and woman on man. Um, they've turned um, the LGBT community on the straight community and the straight community on them. They've created divisiveness just about everywhere that they can. And we could go on and listing these dichotomies where they have created tensions where I don't think tensions need to exist, where there's another pattern through which we could work out the many challenges that need to be worked out. But instead, what we have is actually kind of like violence going on right now, um, both physical and emotional and, and, and linguistic. And one thing that I think is going to be really unfortunate is the moments when, say, the first space uh, colonies start, let's say that, that were to happen. Because I think what we're going to find is that, oh, look, we're all stuck down here together. It wasn't us versus each other. It was these folks who at the very tip top of this pyramid had places they wanted to go and they had us fighting against each other the whole time. Yeah. And we're going to see, Oh, none of us have that privilege. <laughs> like, dude, that kind of privilege, all us sit down here talking about it. We don't have it. I'm just, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I just don't think that we do. Uh, so I think this, that's a really important piece of it. Um, again, on the technology thing, it's like, you uh, maybe you've seen the movie Wally. Did you see that film? No, it's one of my favorite ones. Absolutely. <laughs> so they, they did a great job there of showing us how quickly you could cease to exist outside of um, your social media presence. Yeah, if you remember what happened when a person had their accounts deactivated in the film, 
she not everybody's like on those like uh, sort of hovercraft recliner little chairs. chairs. Yeah. Like a screen in front of them through which they're all networked to everybody else. And at mm-hmm. one point somebody gets shut off. And even though they're right there in front of people, they're going, hello, I'm right here. Uh, nobody else is seeing them because they all have their screen in front of them. And that person no longer appears on the screen. Same I do same. remember that scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. So similarly, you know, it'd be like if you showed up, let's say you got a job at uh, the Washington Post and, and you show up with a typewriter on your first day and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to use this. It's like, you're not going to be there very long. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, or I heard, uh, again, Elon Musk talking recently, speaking on autonomous vehicles. And he said, you know, he was talking about how in 10 years from now, you won't even be able to buy a new car that isn't an, uh, fully autonomous. Right. I've heard that. And he was saying, they'll, they'll still be cars that aren't autonomous. He's like, in the same way that some people keep horses today, but that's not how they get around. Or when they do, they get around like, you know, from the barn over to their friend's place maybe, but they don't, you know, nobody's driving horses on the highway. Right. That's, like that's right. Or privilege even, right? Tremendous privilege because it's a very expensive hobby. Um, <clears throat> but my point is the idea of downgrading your phone, like you said, I mean, you, 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 it would be very difficult to do that. You can do it. Of course you can do it. Uh, again, I think it falls into that. Is it a privilege? Because, because what kind of money do you have to have to not need to use a phone like that. <laughs> what kind of lifestyle do you, you either have to be so off grid that you live autonomously off the land or on one extreme, or you have to be so ultra wealthy that you don't even, you're aloof of all that stuff. It, in between, it's much more challenging. It's not possible. I know people that do it. And so do you, I'm sure. But it's getting very hard to even exist if you're not on social media and you can't check it regularly. So that's only getting started. And I think it's going to get much, much more intense um, and much more difficult for people to live without this stuff. And we're going to be in a place soon where internet isn't just um, something that you have at home, but is available everywhere. Um, Yeah. You know, that's one of the things Peter Thiel was talking about. He said, you know, global networks are going to be going on very soon and everyone is going to have access to, to internet, you know, and 5G speeds and things like that. And just before this, we had Dr. Mercola speaking telling us how, you know, electromagnetic frequencies and uh, 5G speeds and things like that are going to extremely, extremely disrupt our biology, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting time when this... Well, when this we're, we are going into that age of biological denial. And I think um, that, and I know a lot of things that I said today were, I challenged you personally, you know, and, and challenged probably most of the people who are listening to this. Um, Man, I got to tell you, it's like, I really love every kind of person. And I, so I really, truly celebrate every kind of person. There are people that piss me off for sure, you know, and people that I, I you know, I don't feel like deserve me to be nice to them because of how they, they act. But I really believe in merit. You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like, I really believe in merit. I, feel, I think that people should be um, treated on an individual basis, not on a group identity, Right. So I've, I struggle with this idea of because somebody's this or because somebody's that instead, I think really about merit and moving forward in the world, man, it's going to be more and more difficult for you to even establish merit with a person. Think about when you have like augmented reality, right? It's like, you're going to look at me and you're going to see my upvotes and downvotes right through your heads up display. Right. right. So you'll look at me and be, be like, oh man, you know, 97% of people say he's an asshole. <laughs> right. Or like, oh, he has a ton of followers. You're not going to have to go to into your phone and like sign in and then go through the wormhole into your Instagram account and then open that up and then go search for me and then find me and see how many friends I have. You'll just be able to look at me and see that because those numbers will be floating above my head. You know what I'm saying? Well, they're going to need something else other than that because when that starts happening, that's when major dysfunction happens. What do you mean? Like transhumanism. It's right. That dude, that, okay. So that's what it is, right? Right. Here's the challenge that I have with all, why I was talking about merit is like, I think all the identity politics are, super, super toxic. And I think they're an extension of, not even extension, they're part of the transhuman agenda Mm. um, politically. Because in order to uh, bring on a fully transhuman culture where you have AI gods 
autonomous technologies um, and a sort of, um, I want to say an equal serfdom for all, you have to erase any vestiges of real culture, any true diversity. Um, we're, currently, there's all these things claimed to being done in like the name of diversity, but you'll see, and I think everyone will see that in time, what it actually is doing is erasing all diversity. Um, so why I was saying before I love every kind of person is because I really believe in diversity. Just like I believe in species diversity. It's right. like to me, an ecosystem gets worse, right? When you, like, dude, does, do oaks have privilege over, over pine trees? You could yeah. find forests where they do, and you can find forests where they don't. You know what I mean? Well, like, do, yeah. do, do, bison okay. have, do bison have privilege over field mice? Yeah, I guess like do, do you, when you start to the diversity is important. It's Absolutely. really, really important. And I, I really think like we should be more thoughtful. It's like when, when we have a, when we have a type of animal that has lots of, of speciation or when we have, when we see lots of subspeciation, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Right. It's a good thing. I just think that we're going to see the erasure of most of that. Um, in the coming couple of decades, it's going to be shocking when the baby boom generation dies off. We'll be the old folks and the, they'll be the ne- this generation born now does not know like James does not know life without the internet, dude. They've never no. lived without no, the, this I, I, technology. I totally understand. Yeah. And it's changed everything about us too. You know, as, as far as well, we, well we and- see, see now parse that though. You're right. I agree, but parse it because it's changed everything from my 70-year-old friends a lot less than it's changed everything from my 30 to 40-year-old friends. Mm. And it's changed a lot less for them than what it's changed for this generation now. Right. So all these, our parents are about to die off and the whole generation that remembers life without any of this stuff will be largely gone. We'll be there, the ones who've been most punched in the face by this stuff because we've embraced it. There's a generation dying off that's barely embraced it. They don't really understand how to use it. Mm-hmm. We think we get it, but we really don't because the next generation actually is immersed in it. When right. we're getting old and we're dying off, dude, and that generation comes up, we're talking about, <laughs> we already, I think we, we might've already lost. We might've, you know, we got on the topic of the matrix and it's something I don't really, I like talking about, but I don't really discuss in depth, but uh, uh, Arthur and I actually had a great discussion at the end of uh, episode number four about community and the allegory of the cave and how when you try to bring people out from the cave to see what the true reality is, not like a simulacra or like a simulation of the real thing, that person will be so excited and want to come back and bring the other people who are with them to go show them what it is. But then you have the people who are so hopelessly inert on the system that they'll fight for it. And so it's Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. One of the biggest struggles for me being in this space is trying to learn how to speak about it in a way that doesn't trigger people, you know, because it, it flips the reality of what most people are used to seeing or hearing or that story that they tell themselves then flips it on their head. So, I mean, I'm curious, how do you bring up your work with people who are not involved with rewilding? <laughs> it's i mean it's case by case see dude everything's so merit-based that's why it's like a challenging in the beginning of the call when you were like what's your day-to-day like it's like well it's all merit-based man it's based on the day like i try to take everything every person every conversation as its own as its own thing right so it depends who i'm talking to it's like i was just in the south um in uh it's so funny because I feel like I got to tiptoe when I talk about going to the South because there's a tremendous amount of, um, uh, what'd you call it? In the same way that uh, it's almost like there's discrimination now against a lot of people like that. It's, it's, it's funny to watch how the lens of discrimination moves around, but, but just down in the South where, where people, you know, these kind of ideas we're talking about in the communities where I was hunting, they're just, they're not even, interesting they're not on people's radar right so amongst the folks i'm there with a great way to describe what i'm doing is to to sort of initiate by talking about hunting and fishing Mm. i can like easily bring it back and then through there talk about how those are these ancestral practices and then from there i can start talking about how hey you know it's interesting in the same way that hunted meat might be better for you than a lot of farm meat but i can start to then get into this idea of like the ancestral lens of looking at things Mm. Whereas let's say I'm up in New England 
amongst the kind of more hoity-toity kind of ecologically minded, um, more kind of uh, liberally educated type person. Mm-hmm. Then I can go right into like ecology and human beings fitting into ecology and human ecology, right? It's like in a way easier. That's they, they like they already listen to NPR. Like they already think <laughs> right. about those kind of things. You know what I mean? So, so I think it's like you got to take everything case by case because people see things. And that's, I think the mark of like somebody who's a good, really good educator mm-hmm. kind of instinctively understands how to do that. Right. Um, and I, and I think one of the challenges that I have with the current, um, my criticisms of the current see, cause the stuff we keep talking about keeps circling back to the idea of, of privilege and identity politics and all that stuff, which is coming out of the colleges and um, largely from the college professors. And, and the kind of education there uh, that's popular right now, because everything has to be on this is equal, things can't be like so well tailored. It's like, um, it's not merit-based. It's not based on the individual. It's right. based yeah. on the collective. Mm-hmm. How do you educate the collective it's right. It's right. It, and I just don't like that. So, so for me, how do I talk about it with other people? It's case by case, man. And, and, and some people, it just, a lot of times it takes people like more than a year to even really get their head around what I'm doing. I just don't bring it up. It's triggering. So I typically don't bring it up unless <laughs> everything's unless, triggering. That's what, that's the point. All right. The conversation earlier, I took kind of a hard stance with you on some of those things because I don't think it's okay for us to now be racist against white people. Just like I don't think it's okay to be racist against anybody else. Right. I just don't right. think that's okay. Okay. And I don't, I know, and I understand I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm, I understand that you probably don't see it as racism. I do see it as racism. So, um, I'm challenged because right now everything's taboo. Everything's tiptoeing. We, you can't, have you noticed that a lot of people are getting in trouble for things that happen every single day in your regular life? But if you get caught saying it, now you're in trouble. Mm. It's like, dude, I'm watching people go down for, I'm watching people go down for two things, things that they very much deserve to go down for. So a lot of people have done things that they deserve to for sure deserve to lose their jobs or their credibility or whatever. But I'm also seeing a lot of other people getting roped into things where it's like people are getting in trouble publicly over things that people say all the time, but you have to pretend that you don't. And this is just, this reminds me of like when they, you know, when it was like the, the the red scare when everybody's a commie or something, you know what I mean? It's like, Mm. we're all feeling uncomfortable. And so it's really weird to live in a place where you have free speech, but everybody's so easily triggered that you feel like you can't even talk, you know? It's, I think it's just the nature of just the idea of rewilding. See, that's interesting that you're saying that, and especially where you are, because I find, and maybe it's about how it's presented or something or case by case, but I find people really like the idea. Even people who are like, I'm not going to do that. You know, the lady who cuts my hair, it's like, well, so if I were to to talk about, you know, just the hunting and gathering aspect, you know, just collecting wild foods, people are totally okay with that. But it's when I get into the reasoning behind why I do it is when maybe it's, you know, and maybe it's me. It, It could totally be me and how I talk about it, I guess. But when I start talking about the philosophies behind what I believe rewilding is and where I see it going or how I believe it, it's working right now, you know, some people, it challenges their, their point of view, their worldview. For example, I was talking about hunting and gathering at a Christmas dinner with my cousin and he was getting all upset because um, of uh, when I started talking about God, it's just a really sensitive subject. You know what I mean? What, what, what do you mean, though? Uh, so, you know, I was just talking about how... Are you, like, are, are you holding something back from the conversation? I, I guess I am, yeah, yeah. Because it's just, a, it, for me, it's sensitive because it was a, you know, a private conversation with my, my cousin and I at a very like, critical time. But we were talking about, I, I think I said something along the lines of, um, you know, like industry and capitalism and how civilization is inherently unsustainable you know, that right there was ah, just okay. there, there kind of <laughs> triggering, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, okay. So basically we're right. So here's back to everything I'm saying, right? Because there's a th- sort of a theme that's run throughout this conversation that I've, I've been, I've been circling back to again and again and again. I think that all of, all of this stuff we're talking about 
mm-hmm. is part of one big mental paradigm about what the future of humanity should look like. Some people, like I can't speak for your cousin, but might be something similar, just genuinely believe in the idea that civilization is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Some people believe that going to Mars is the most important thing we could do or um, developing AI or uh, augmented realities. But they're all, and and a lot of the identity politics is all belief in what the future of of society should look like. And um, all this stuff is, to me, it's one big umbrella under which the sovereignty and freedom of the individual is being um, subsumed by the collective idea. Some of it's old world thinking, a lot of it's new world thinking. Um, I don't typically <laughs> come out and tell people that I don't really believe in civilization itself because it's like, uh, that's just too, that's so <laughs> complex and you need such, it sounds absurd to people. I mean, it, it sounds absurd to me when I say it. But it requires a tremendous understanding of backstory, a tremendous education that most mm-hmm. people just don't have. Cool. So, so I, I do think, though, in the same way that talking about why we maybe don't need to go to Mars is hard for some people to get their head around. Right. They're all believing in this cult of progress, dude. This is the cult of progress, a.k.a. transhumanism. Mm. A.k.a. transhumanism. So what your cousin believes in isn't that much different than what SpaceX believes in. It's that the most important thing is that we innovate and we make progress. Whereas I think the rewilding idea, and one reason you won't hear me actually say that word that often anymore, rewilding, because it has like a retrograde kind of sound to it, like going backward. But ultimately, I really think it's just it's a, there's, there's a belief in biology and a belief in, belief in transcending biology. And, and civilization's always been about transcending uh, biology. Okay, let me just ask a couple of these questions. Magda Durante, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Magda, excuse me if I'm not, asks, I've heard Daniel address briefly why he doesn't include more from, okay, I'm just going to read it how it said, uh, doesn't include more from interact, just basically interact or relatively interact with indigenous communities still living like hunter-gatherers about their life ways and experiences. I understand he's experienced a communication gap, but there are many communities within modern, with modern ambassador members within Western friends or researchers who can support and interpret, and it seems very relevant to those of us looking for new paradigms for rewilding. Could he speak to that? Yeah, I can. Um, I just interview who I, I mean, I, I'm assuming that they're talking about who I interview. And um, I live in rural Maine, so I, you know, it's not like I'm out in San Francisco or LA where I have like tremendous access to like just thousands and thousands of thinkers. Um, and we reach out to the people that we, that I want to interview. So it's not that I'm omitting anybody. I'm not the only voice in rewilding. You know what I'm saying? I'm just a voice. And I just share what I'm interested in sharing. I'm not trying to set the tone. And, and I think that anybody who has a group or community that they would like to hear from, I think they should interview them. Um, what I had expressed is that there's been a couple times where um, I've uh, brought some native folks on to, well, you know, we put out a show recently, interestingly, um, with a, a guy whose work I really like uh, from New Zealand, who's a, a Maori guy, but he's not, in fairness, he's only part Maori. And that communication gap wasn't there for me. It was really easy. It's like, we just, it was very easy to communicate, but I have had a couple challenges, not negative ones, just ones that didn't make for great interviews mm-hmm. when I've spoken to people um, from native communities where, when I have tried. And that's, of course, I'm not trying to say that there aren't people who would be incredibly like wonderful on my show. It just, we haven't come across those folks and we have actually reached out to a few folks who didn't want to come on the show and it just hasn't come together. Oh, so interesting. Okay. primarily as somebody on the podcasting circuit, there's just sort of people who do shows and do interviews and a lot of people who you know, you'd love to talk to, but don't necessarily come onto the show. So uh, I'm not trying to admit anybody. I'm just doing my thing. It's just like one of those weird kind of things people like will criticize me. I mean, no matter what you do, you get criticized, you know, I get that. But um, I just interview who I want to interview. And, you know, maybe this person should start a show because it sounds like they have somebody in mind. Or maybe they should send me some links to people they think would be great on the show. We always take suggestions, but I'm not trying to omit anybody. I mean, I just talk to people who I want to talk to. Uh, just a couple more. 
So uh, Krista Whiteman asks, there seems to be a lot of, what's this in parentheses, stuff accumulation that accompanies the lifestyle. Hunting gear and equipment, dehydrators, knives, nutcrackers. It takes a lot of (laughs) stuff to live this lifestyle in the modern context. It seems a bit hypocritical. I'm just curious how Daniel Vitalis chooses to navigate that. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) Hyper-organization. And uh, I have really, yeah, it's true. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's true. There's a lot of gear. Um, I have a whole gear room, you know, like I literally have a room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it, right? It's like, uh, it's a lot of equipment to do all the things that I'm personally doing. So all the stuff I use, what's cool, you'd think almost like, oh, hunting and gathering, you could just, you don't need anything. But we're hunting and gathering in the modern world. So there are lots of rules about, you know, what equipment you can and can't use and, you know, what you need to do it in the, in, in the way that it's prescribed by um, culture. Because one of the challenges of hunting and gathering in the Anthropocene age is like, how do you do it within the bag limits or how do you do it within the seasons and all those kind of things. So it just requires a ton of specialized gear. Um, you know, in the past people had specialized gear too, hunting and gathering peoples, but they would often leave a lot of that stuff behind in caches mm-hmm. and they come back to it when they'd be back to that place at that season. Um, you know, I just keep everything here at home. I've sort of converted my garage. I'm in the process of converting my garage into a, you know, not only a storage place for all my equipment, but also for much of my meat processing. and plant say, processing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, yeah, it's pretty full time. And, and, and here's the thing, all that equipment, if you're on a standard American diet, all that equipment's still there. It's just now it's at slaughterhouses and it's at farms and it's at combines and it's at processing food processing facilities and packing facilities. You know what I mean by that? It's like, yeah, no, absolutely. It's somewhere it's, you're taking. Yeah, it's somewhere. You're just taking it into your own hands. It's kind of like, um, you know, you might not have a fire in your house, but you always have a fire somewhere. If you can flick a light switch on, it's kind of like that. It's like energy's coming from somewhere and there's a bunch of infrastructure for it. So, um, but I keep things really organized. I keep things organized usually by activity. So I have like my ice fishing stuff and my regular fishing stuff and my squirrel hunting stuff and my bird hunting stuff and my deer hunting stuff. And there's my acorn supplies and there's my cracker for this and my cracker for that. And, you know, I just have all these, this different equipment and I keep it as organized as I can. But, um, you know, I've, I've worked again hard in my life to have a place where I can kind of keep all that stuff and keep it all organized. And, yeah. and to get the stuff in the first place, because a lot of this stuff is expensive. We're doing the acorn w- workshop right now. And in it, we've really worked hard to try to be like, Hey, here's how you could do it with like a stone. Right. But here's how you can do it with this fancy schmancy Dave built, you know, nutcracker. It's like, you know, it's just about where you want to put yourself on that spectrum. And I like, I like equipment. I like having really nice gear and I like to buy it once so that I don't have to see that's, that's kind of how I feel about it is, um, buy less, but buy better. Um, Yep. Denby Roy. And, and Arthur talks about that in his book too, which is like, if you are going to buy manufactured stuff, don't buy cheap stuff because it ends up costing the world more in the long run. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's similar to like a carpenter, right? So what is the old carpenter adage? You have to have the right tool for the right job because it really does make all the difference. And if you have the ability to do that, I, I would say, you know, if it's supporting a small, a small business or anything like that, local, especially, why not? So this is the last question. It's by a friend named Carolyn Michelle. She asked, hi, James. My question for Daniel is if you could share his take on light and its effects on our health. Uh, Living on higher altitudes obviously affects some people's mood, but lately it's also been talked about other effects uh, of lack of daylight has on the human body, both mind and soul. What's his take on Jack Cruz's ideas? Yeah, Jack Cruz is an interesting dude, right? Because he's like, he's a little bit out of his mind and he's a little bit brilliant too. And uh, maybe he'll hear me say that. So I think I would say that to his face. Um, he's, <laughs> I, I, I saw him speak at a place where they really grilled him. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, they really did grill him on stuff he was saying. And it was like, some of it was science. And I think a lot of it was presented as science, but maybe it was conjecture. So um, I don't know what I could say about Cruz's theories on things. I don't think I can speak to those, but I think he's, he's onto some stuff. And I, I like the, the, the way he looks at like, we agree on a lot of stuff. How about that? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we agree on is that, that light and electrons are kind of what's fueling our, our bodies. And um, one of the reasons I know I'm constantly bringing it back to hunting and gathering, but it's like one reason I like doing that is because I get exposure to light. It stacks all the things that we yep. 
get in, right? It fits them all together really nicely. So um, in general, I think people are suffering from a lack of light and not just direct light, but bright ambient light. Um, one of the things that I've learned is that the, one of the best things you can do for yourself first thing in the day is step outside and um, get exposed to tremendous amounts of light, even if it's overcast because you're getting way more light than you'd get in your house. Um, I think it's really important to get naked exposure to sunlight. I think it's important to have a tan. Um, I think it's important. And that's it. <laughs> man, I wish I was privileged with more like melanin. I wish I could tan more. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> you know, definitely. I mean, uh, you got way more of a tan than I could ever get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta protect that head of yours, man. But you know, I think that uh, all of us, probably need more light uh, within reason because I've seen people overdo sun exposure for sure and all that too. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just like, I, I, as the season goes on, we have to be more diligent about it. Um, I think that's really important. Um, I think one thing that's important is as you progress through your life is making sure that you're getting yourself living in places where you have more um, direct sunlight and more ambient light in your house. Mm. Since we spend so much time indoors. Um, I think that um, exposure to computer light is one of the things that we have to be really mindful of. And unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to uh, to avoid, uh, but simple things like using um, light augmenters on your machine, like whether those are the app like Flux or something like that, Apple now offers that on their iPhone. I think also using your dimmer on your computer is really, really smart. Like at night, let's say, and you're reading, it's like you can turn your screen brightness way, way down. Mm. Um, so those kind of things are really important. And then lastly, I want to say not to forget that I, I got the impression her question is about visual light, um, visible light, but remember that everything in the electromagnetic frequency is light. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as we move towards these technologies you were talking about before 5G and things like that, that's light, <laughs> you know, that's light. It's just um, light frequencies that just we can't light. see. Exactly. And those are all impacting us too. And the answer is always really, really simple. It's what would be the natural pattern and how much of that can we replicate? That's, I think, the the kind of basic concept that I would promote is, is what can we do to get the natural influences back? And for me, that means getting outside as much as possible. And if I'm going to try to get outside as much as possible, then I want that to be useful time. So it's helpful if you can stack that with something that you need to do outside. I love that. Again, like Daniel's saying, guys, um, when you get outside and you're doing any hunting or gathering, think about, yes, all the benefits that you are stacking from the fresh air to the natural sunlight which resets your circadian biology. I think there were three researchers that just literally won the Nobel Peace Prize for that work. The exercise that you get, the movement, I mean, you name it, the list goes on and on and on. The interaction with other species. The interaction with other species is getting very, very uncommon for people today. Very uncommon. And, and I, we don't, I don't have a lot of science on that. I haven't seen science on like the importance of that from a psychological and physiological perspective. But we, I, I would suspect, I would speculate that will emerge. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that I, I love that you and Daniel, uh, I'm, excuse me, you and Arthur talk about is, is that participation in the wild allows you to gain a new understanding, a passion for it, and, and ultimately allows you to fight for it. So I, I really do respect that, that perspective big time. Thank you. So, Daniel, thank you so much for sharing both your time and wisdom with the Ancestral Health Radio Tribe today. Before we go, can you give people listening any way that they can get in contact with you uh, via social media or anything like that? Yeah, sure. My mobile phone number. Is <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, my social media, at Daniel Vitalis on Instagram, um, Daniel Vitalis on Facebook, and uh, Rewild Yourself Podcast. And you can find all that at DanielVitalis.com. My store is SirThrival.com. And um, hey, I just want to say, I know we traverse some challenging uh, stuff today. I want to say thank you for James, because you, um, you were very uh, diplomatic in your approach to that. And, uh, you know, let me have my piece too. And, and, I, and I know that's difficult stuff to talk about. And um, I think that uh, it's a time in history where there's a lot of things that are difficult to talk about. And I don't think we should shy away from them. I think we should have open dialogue. And I just want to say thank you for doing that with me. Well, that means a lot to me as well. And I hope that we can do it again sometime. And you know what? I know you got Frankie G over there. Please tell him I said hi. And I've heard you mention this. So you guys have nicknames real quick before we go. So Frankie G or Frankie Four Fingers, and then there's Stolon, the god of plants. What's your nickname? 
<laughs> I don't have one to be honest. <laughs> Come on, Stolon is the is is you know a Stolon I believe is a is a lateral shoot of uh, you know a creeping plant, and that just became Arthur's bot botanical superhero name. Whatever. <laughs> it's actually Frankie fucking Fourfinger. So it's excuse F4. me. Frankie yeah. fucking four figures. Um, I, yeah, they don't have one for me that I know about. They probably do, but I... <laughs> <laughs> good question. Awesome. Okay. Well, hey, man, um, I super appreciate your time. And guys, that wraps up today's episode with Daniel Vitalis of Daniel Vitalis, Sir Thrival, and findaspring.com. Remember to head back for show notes, resources, and more at ancestralhealthradio.com. And always, to all my aspiring hunter-gatherer gardener friends out there, remember to take a walk on the wild side. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Ancestral Health Radio. If you like the podcast, then do me a quick favor and head over to iTunes to leave an honest rating or review of the show. This helps improve the show's ranking and visibility with other would-be hunter-gatherer gardeners just like yourself. But if you can't do that, I'll totally understand. We're still cool. But maybe you could share this episode on your favorite social media network or at the very least, continue the conversation with myself and the tribe on the official Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. But whatever you do, remember to check out all the resources mentioned earlier in this episode by reading the show notes at ancestralhealthradio.com. Yeah.